So glad that you chose to be here this morning. I recognize it always is a choice, right? And so glad that for the opportunity to dive back into our series in the book of Mark. And we're going to be in chapter 7 here this morning. If you want to grab your Bibles and start turning there as I speak. How many of you have heard before, hopefully not on the receiving end, uh, but have heard the statement where someone says, well, that isn't very Christian. How many of you heard that? I feel like that's a growing in popularity. Hopefully not. A, when you hear it about yourself, maybe that's like, oh man, that stinks. But, but really, I think what that says, it says something about our, our culture and our day and age where there's still, even after all of these years from this text, there's still a certain degree of obsession with outward appearances, externals as being a defining factor of our, our faith, our, our belief system. I was just in our membership class yesterday and I was doing, um, I can be doing, anybody else like this, I can be doing one thing and doing something else too in your mind and so working through this, this text here this morning and as I was sharing with the group and we we're talking about expectations of membership and we we're talking about all these good things that you're part of a life group, you're serving, you're giving back to the church, you're inviting people and I was thinking as I, I'm sure sharing that, I'm like, man, those are sure a lot of external qualifications or things, but really the point of our text this morning and the desire of God is, is not just an action-based faith, but it's one that's rooted and stems out of a love relationship with Jesus Christ, a love relationship. We can get so caught up in all of the outward stuff and really miss that, and Jesus consistently, we're going to see in the text this morning, he consistently called people to more than clean hands, external, but rather soft hearts, rather soft hearts. And that's what the song was even singing about. And if we're not careful, maybe you've noticed this in your own walk with Christ. Man, isn't the walk with Christ, it's, it's not a sprint, it's a, it's a journey, it's a, it's a marathon, if you will. Well, you may have noticed seasons, and you may even be in one now, where if you're not careful, your heart start to get kind of cold. You can kind of slip into professional Christian mode, if you will. And, and you, you notice some of the telltale signs when you're in church and you're maybe saying the words of a song, but if you're honest with yourself, that's not really your, your heart cry to God. You might be listening, you might be looking at me as I'm talking, but you're really glancing and wondering when I'm going to finally be done talking. You might deal with that all the way through this morning. You might, you, you might be wondering about like your, your friend that should have heard this message, and you really miss the idea, the idea, or I'll take it even a step further. You're, you, you find yourself serving in a capacity in the church, and everybody's left, and you're the one that's cleaning up the mess. How did I get stuck? serving in this capacity. You see, the root of that is probably, if we're honest with ourselves, it's probably comes down to a, a heart thing. Probably comes down to a heart issue. Where is that love relationship with Jesus Christ at? And that's what Jesus confronts the religious leaders at that time, and I still think very applicable for us here today. Let me pray as we dive in. Dear Lord, Thank you so much for this pause this morning and, and cause for us to reflect and maybe even assess where is our heart? Have we slipped into the externals and so concerned about clean hands and looking good and, and being a good Christian, quote unquote, that we've missed the whole desire, your desire of a worship that comes out of a heart that's infatuated, that's in love with you as God? 
I pray that you do a work in us this morning, that you speak to us through this text, that you would be great and I would be small. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. So chapter seven of the, the book of Mark, and we've had quite an adventure thus far as we learn about Jesus Christ and what a compelling man, person he was. These aren't just stories. This is an account of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, coming down and interacting with man. Let's see this interaction here this morning of an accusation that he has to confront or deal with. It says in verse 1, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed, Parentheses, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? pause there for a moment and explain a little bit of what's happening. Explanation, if you get the sense right out of the gate that this group of religious leaders are there with an intention in mind. They're, they're showing up and they're uh, evaluating everything that Jesus Christ does. And we see in this, this picture here that they're asking a question. We don't know for sure if they're asking directly in front of the crowd in order to shame him, but either way, they're looking for this opportunity to point out where Jesus Jesus, God in the flesh, isn't, well, I don't know if that term applies, but isn't being a very good Christian or his followers weren't of sorts. And so this picture I was thinking about, like what that would be like present day, I don't know if it was a big to-do where somebody's shouting out in the middle of his teaching. I was in a service some years back when I was on staff at Willow Creek Community Church, and I remember sitting there, I was in the, uh, in the audience, and, and a, a guy all dressed in camouflage in the upper balcony starts standing up and started like cursing at Bill Hybels. And you're like, what just happened there? And, and quickly, like all the ushers and security quickly escorted this gentleman out. And, uh, and I was just, what an intense moment. And I don't know exactly how intense this moment was, if it was pulling aside, but either way, God in the flesh is being confronted. And what is it that they're actually confronting? What are they, what are they accusing his disciples of? Verse five, it says that, that they were not following the tradition of the elders. When you hear that term, you're like, well, at least when I first read it, I was like, what is that talking about? What's the tradition of the elders? A little backdrop there, or background. The law, as you know, was given to Moses in Mount Sinai in the, how many commandments? Nice, audience participation, I like that. <laughs> Ten commandments, and, and, and in that law, since then, you had religious leaders from there on looking for opportunities, initially with good intent, to make sure that the law was clearly understood and practically understood how to actually live that out. And so you had generation after generation, and so you had the written law, but you also had what was called the oral law. And those were attempts at explanation and also attempts at protecting, which is ironic, the integrity of the initial law in its design. And so you had a buildup over years and years and generations of lots, a massive amount of material under the umbrella of moral law, in fact, Rabbi Jehuda pulled this material together to form what was called the Mishnah, which means to repeat. 
And then after all this, so you had all this commentary that was compiled. And then what was interesting is then, in order to make sense out of that commentary, there was new commentary that was written, written to understand the combination of the law in the commentary. So commentary on commentary. So that was compiled, then to, called the Gemara, which means complete. So that what had happened is this mass of both the law itself and what was written about the law had become so overbearing that the common man had no hope of trying to understand it all. That's why they needed professionals. They needed scribes and Pharisees, people that had committed their entire, entire lives to unpacking this law. When, when I look at the original law, I, I think it's, it's plenty to unpack, but they had created really jobs for themselves in a sense, and so all of these items that were outside of the written law could be described as the tradition of the elders. And here's the thing, is the thing to understand is traditions, and I want to be clear on that, are not a bad thing. A lot of times people can get pretty down on traditions. We, even if you think about our time in worship together, we have a lot of traditions. We kick the kids out, we worship together. Like we have different things that, that we do here in ABF are part of our, uh, our culture, and traditions aren't a bad thing. And you think even in your family, anybody have some unique family traditions? Anybody have some? I was trying to think of some things in my own family. One thing we enjoy is on, on birthdays. My wife really likes to do up birthdays for the kids, and even it's rippled into me and on one of the traditions that she has is when the kids wake up they have their doors completely decorated she has like this crisscross of uh what do you call that stuff uh, crepe paper and like it's like a spider web they've got to work through in signs and balloons and like it's like this huge ordeal that's one of the traditions I was trying to think of other traditions here's a little insight that's probably too much information uh so another tradition that we have if one of our kids burps in the house, we have a tradition of something that they say. Would you guys like to hear it? They say, excuse me, please, that was very rude. That was not me, that was my food. It came way up from down below. It just popped up to say hello. <laughs> and uh, every single one of my kids, isn't that weird? Yeah, uh, every single one of my kids, even my youngest, little Sienna, like she, a little burp, excuse me, please, that was very rude. Like it, it, it comes out, just, just weird nuances, and we can laugh about some of those things, and it's silly, we can probably think of our own, but in that culture, some of the s silly things have been elevated to a status that when we hear about it now, you're like, what in the world? Where did things go wrong? What happened was tra tradition got elevated to equal or greater than God's word, which is crazy to think about. In fact, the Talmud says that the words of the scribes are more lovely than the words of the law. Wow, that's dangerous zone to get in, right? And so this, this trickled into every aspect, especially in this context, having to do with cleaning your hands, having to do with keeping ceremonially clean. Now you ask yourself, was Jesus and, and his disciples, were they actually going against the, the Old Testament law? Was he guilty as charged, if you will? The truth is that the Old Testament only prescribed cleanliness, like sanitation, for protecting the nation of Israel, but they had some rules for priests that were about to go in and have some kind of a sacrifice. And so they had specific rules for cleansing. You remember even maybe reading some of those in the Old Testament for, this, for the priests. But what had happened is in their 
explanation of these laws in the oral law, they decided that everyone should be, aspire to be as godly as a priest, so the common person should take on all of these same functions in daily life that the priest carried into going in to give a sacrifice. Does that make sense? And so in this context, they're saying, listen, you're not keeping up with our traditions. In fact, this was such a big deal. I was reading an article this week that this rabbi named Tahanath says, whoever has abode in the land of Israel and eats its, his food with washed hands may rest assured that he shall receive eternal life. Whoa, that's crazy pants. Like, how, like where did it go from that? Like, in fact, I was reading that, that they had up to 30 different chapters written just about how you clean your pots and pans prior to eating. Like, anybody feel like you need that to add to your kitchen routine? 30, 30 chapters an entire volume written on how to clean your hands. Like, I mean, this was seriously elevated and seriously skewed. And so what do you do with this? What do you do with that today? A lot of times you can just get into the camp of like, man, were they crazy? Glad we're not. But think about it. Think about it. Think how many things we choose to elevate as a big deal. It's really a peripheral thing. We get off track and choose to take things that were really not God's design to be something we stand firm on, but like peripheral things that really aren't that important. I was thinking about this, an important thing for us to be cautious and humble in our convictions on non-central issues. To be humble, to have a degree of like, you know what? I might be wrong. Isn't that okay? Doesn't it feel good to say that? Try, say it to your neighbor right now. I might be wrong. Yeah, it's pretty unlikely, but uh, no, don't add that part. But, but here's th that, that, that degree of thinking on some peripheral things outside of the, uh, of, uh, of the main things is what they had gotten off track. And as I mentioned, they had elevated these things to just an unbelievable status. So that's what they're accusing him of. How will he respond to this accusation? Let's take a look at his response. It's pretty interesting. And, uh, not necessarily sugar-coated. And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, he gives an example. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me as Corbin, I'll explain that in a minute, that is given to God then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. A lot happening there, a lot to, a decent amount to unpack, but the first thing that you notice is probably like we mentioned at the beginning of this series, not exactly a flannel graph Jesus, a little bit more intense, a little bit more direct than, direct than maybe we had a childhood understanding of him, a little bit more uh, skipping the pleasantries, if you will. What does he confront? He confronts two things I would 
proposed lip service and playing God. Lip service first, he describes them as what? Hypocrites. It's a recurring theme that he describes them, and we've talked about this before. A hypocrite, the picture is like an actor wearing a mask, where there's pretending to be something that you're not. So he calls them hypocrites because of their vain worship. Their vain worship or empty. In other words, there's really no heart in it. No heart in their worship. And what is this lip service? This idea stems from all the way written back with Isaiah in 29, 13, which he prophesied this, that they would be all about this, talking a big talk, but then their actions not exactly consistent with that. I think of just a, maybe a brokenhearted example of this is the idea of a, a, an abused wife consistently having the, the husband come back and say, but honey, I love you, I care about you, and then going right back into those broken habits. This, this, that would be described as what? Lip service. You can't believe what's being said, and that's what he's, he's accusing them of, saying you're talking this, but your actions just don't show it. They don't show this same degree of devotion. So you might have all these ceremonial acts and these clean hands and these uh, shiny pots ready for service, but where is the one thing that God wanted the most from them? They're holding back was what? Their hearts, their hearts. Think about it. I think about Jesus' words where he said, how often did I long to gather you like a, a mother hen gathers its chicks under my wings? He's saying, I just, I just want your hearts. I want your hearts. And really, 2,000 years later, things haven't really changed, right? Still that plea, that request isn't for us to do more and be more like this or act this way. He's like, let's just start. Not that those are bad things. Let's just start with a heart with a love relationship with me. That's what it needs to stem, stem out of. That's what it means when somebody says, if somebody says you're not at being very Christian, well, being very Christian means you have a heart that's devoted to, to him. How are we with that this morning? How, uh, what, what's our, our temperature of our hearts? Is it, has it hardened? Is it soft? Is it, is it moldable? Where is the condition of our hearts? So as if that wasn't a convicting enough confrontation, he brings up, Another aspect where he points out that they're really, they're, they're, they're playing God. He says, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men, elevating them to godlike status, rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. So not just adding to the text, it's actually in essence rejecting what God was saying. So it was a pretty big deal. And here's the thing is he doesn't just go with a vague accusation. He then unpacks. He says, let me give you a specific thing to look at. He says, you know the, the Ten Commandment, number five, honor your father and your mother. That's, that's one that they would all be familiar with. And he even points to the extreme consequences. Uh, maybe some kids today are happy we're not under Levitical law. The idea of, uh, of execution if someone revels their parents, which means to criticize or abuse in an insulting manner. This was something that was a big deal to God and a big deal in that culture, but what had happened? They wander from it. How had they wandered from it? This is where it needs a little bit of explanation. It says, if a man tells his father or his, his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God, 
then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Let me explain. Corbin in that culture would be similar today in this culture of the idea of like deferred giving. So you've committed, like so, so say you had a, a house that you're like, you know what? I'm calling this house Corbin for ABF, which we encourage. No, uh, but, but saying at the end, after I pass away, after I die, that then goes to the church. Kind of a cool way to bless the church, I'm, I'm just saying. Uh, but, but, but in this context, what they were able to do was just to, at some point, any point, be able to claim or proclaim that all of the things they owned are Corbin. It was like saying, all right, everything I have, and it was a real neat way to look spiritual, all that I have is going to God. But what that did is when it was manipulated inappropriately, it was saying, I have full access to this all the way till I die. And nobody else, it was like a, a neat way to play Scrooge. Anybody watch that as we get close to Christmas? There's like 500 different renditions of it. But this picture is saying, I'm allowed to use these resources for myself up into the point of death, but when I die, then it'll all go to God. But that was a way to shelter their possessions. And so when, when it says there, when a needy parent or somebody that was in need was coming for that, you say like, sorry, Corbin. Sorry, Corbin. It's, it's, it's no longer. And once a vow was made, it couldn't be broken. So an angry son at a parent could say, hey, listen, I'm Corbining all this stuff, whether it doesn't, it doesn't uh, matter what the extent of need is. So Jesus is pointing out this flaw in their, in their belief system or their, their system that they had established and saying, listen, you've created these different loopholes, but the truth is Jesus saw right through that, saw right through that it was created and designed with their own benefit, their own intention in mind. So he's calling them out in their sin of avoiding the obligation of caring for their parents. Mark 12, 15 says that Jesus knew their hypocrisy. He saw right through it, saw straight to what? The heart, back to the heart again. He saw straight to the heart. And still today, I was trying to think of ways that we in our culture, in our day, how does that look today? Maybe some things that we choose to do to say like, all right, this, is, this might be a little bit too hard of a prick, but how about guys that say like, you know what? I'm working all these hours because the Bible says I'm to provide for my family. What about neglecting your marriage? What about not being the, the leader of your household? What, what about not caring for the, the, the chil the, your, your children and having a relationship? All things that are pointing to in Scripture, we can still take things and adjust them if we're not careful for our own benefit, for our, our, our own desires and pursuits. And so here, Jesus is pushing back on them for, in all intents and purposes, playing God, determining their own rules and their own boundaries. It's neat, in the next section, he goes into a, a, a neat, teachable moment with the crowd. It's like a pause for a second. In verse 14, it says, And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you. It's like a plea. And understand, there is nothing outside, listen to this, there is nothing outside a person that, that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person or what defile him? Let me explain a little bit there. This is a teachable moment. Again, it says that all of you, he's pulling them all together. I don't know if it's a little huddle or what, but what he's saying is he's saying, listen, what goes in us 
doesn't defile us. It's, what's, it's what comes out it's, is the problem. In other words, the problem isn't the external environment. The problem is what is on the inside of us. Our fallen, rebellious state apart from Christ we still have this mentality if we're not careful, even in our, our parenting. We think all we need to do with our kids is just protect them from all the evil externals out there. And if we're not careful, we can forget where the problem is actually rooted, right? The problem is rooted apart from Jesus Christ in, our, in ourselves, in our kids' hearts. You can, you can create the best environment ever, but if you don't deal with the heart issue, you're missing it. You're missing it. Then it just becomes behavior modification. It comes clean hands, hard hearts, right? Clean hands, hard hearts. And so that's what he's pointing out. He's saying the issue starts within. That's where the problem is. That's what's corrupted, Dealing with the heart, he takes it a little bit deeper with those that he's cl closest with, with his disciples in verse 17. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. Let's pause there for a second. How cool would it be to debrief with Jesus after everything? Be like, all right, like, all right, Jesus, what in the world did you mean by that? You're like, you're crazy smart and I'm not. Like, tell me what you meant by that. Like, so that's what they're doing. They're gathering up and getting to debrief with Jesus. Verse 18, and this is what he explains to them. He said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not into his heart but his stomach and is expelled gross thus he declared all foods clean and he said what comes out of a person is what defiles him for from within again out of the heart of a man come evil thoughts sexual immorality theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, quite a list. All these evil things come from where? Within. And they defile a person. So he goes a little deeper, simply saying, since food is merely physical, it can't de defile the heart, which is spiritual. Does that make sense? And listen, it's not about the stuff you're putting in. And this was a pretty big deal. This was like, a, this was, it says even in parentheses there, he was announcing or declaring that all food was clean. And the guys are like, all right, like pork ribs for lunch. And, uh, and, and, so, and so this was a big change in, in that culture. But here what he's point, pointing out, he's saying, listen, the problem isn't what you're putting in. It's not how nice and clean you get your hands. It all has to do with the heart, that's what it comes back to. If you think about it, even in today's culture, even if pornography, I jotted this down from an article, even if pornography weren't a 10 billion a year industry in our culture, there would still be sexual immorality. Pornography doesn't cause sexual immorality, but it's a symptom of what's inside the human heart as many gun rules as we want to make, as many laws as we want to put in place to protect the public. If someone's determined to kill somebody, if it's a heart issue, there's not much you can do about it. That's why we watch the news and we're like, how can we change this? How can we stop this? Why are things progressively seem like they're getting worse? Because it's heart stuff. 
It's hard stuff. It's not going to be solved in politics. It's not going to be solved with more rules. It's not going to be solved by trying harder or trying to fix things ourselves. It has to stem from the heart. And guess what? The heart can't be fixed on our own. That's a problem. That's a problem. So I, uh, I, I'm that guy that's not necessarily super good at fixing things. Well, I'm fair, but, but I've noticed, but I, I, I'm also very cheap. And so it drives me with at least attempts to fix things. Any other guys fall in this category? Remember some months back, the, the, the CD player in my car broke. I was just like, oh man. In fact, one was like jammed in there. And, uh, and I was like, oh man, I don't want to take this to the dealership. You know what I mean? And you're like, oh, I don't want to pay those prices. So, so I take the whole thing out myself. I've got it on the, on the kitchen table. And you're like, we're not eating here anymore. This is a workstation. And uh, any other guys do this? And I have this thing completely taken apart. I've got all the pieces set out. And I'm like, all right, well, this part goes there. This part goes there. Okay, let's get to the root of the issue. And you're like... That's broken. I can't fix it. Anybody else come to these conclusions when you're trying to solve stuff? You're like, even with a soldering iron, even if I had a, a, a PhD in whatever, like I wasn't going to be able to fix that. In fact, I even concluded that nobody could fix that CD player. I don't care how smart you are. I had to buy a new one, right? I had to buy a new one. And here's the truth, and this is the picture I'm getting to is with the heart, the same thing is true. We, we, can't, we can't fix it. No matter how hard we try to clean our hands, wash our pots, get everything in order, how many volumes we write about good behavior and all of that, we, we can't solve this. We can't fix this. But the good news is, and you're like, please get there, the good news is that somebody else bought a new one for us. Someone else bought a new one for us. In fact, Ezekiel 36, 26, beautiful picture here. Describes what Jesus is offering for those who have embraced him as Savior. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will what? Remove the old heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What a beautiful invitation. But here's the thing that I think we get misguided in. A lot of times we think that's a one-time event. We think like, hey, man, I, I chose, I made the, made the choice to bend my knee, embrace Jesus' death as payment for my sins. And my prayer is there's not a person that leaves this room without getting that piece figured out. That's key. It's critical. But here's the part that I think we get confused of if we are a Christ follower is I want to propose that that's an ongoing thing. That if we're not careful, that heart can start to shift back to getting hard and calloused and new layers back on it. And it needs to be daily, hourly, even moment, like moment by moment replaced where you're like, God, please soften my heart. Make it, bring it back, bring it back. Don't, don't let me just sing these songs and do the church thing and do the be a Christian thing. Like, give me a soft heart. Allow me to fall back in love with you. Allow me to be re-enamored with the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's what I would propose is the solution. What Jesus is doing, he's not just trying to be a bully and a jerk to these guys. He's trying to push them enough, push them enough to say like, wait a second, 
we can't fix this. Come to the same conclusion I did with my CD player. Come to that same point where that crossroads where you're like, I can't solve this issue. I can't change it. I can't move anything. I just need to humbly get on my knees and ask for God to help. What would that look like for us today? What would that look for us to slow down? And what if we just prayed one simple prayer? God, soften my heart again. God, soften my heart again, you know? Like daily, like it goes through, it's getting beat up, it's taking punches, it's taking assault, and you're like, all right, God, here I am again. God, soften my heart again. As Chad's playing here in a second, I would love for us to just have a couple moments, the, the gift of time, just to pause, and what if we actually prayed that prayer collectively? What if we just prayed that prayer? God, soften my heart again. Bring it soft, make it moldable, make it, sh- make it shapeable, allow it to be in your possession, in your hand again. That's my prayer for us collectively. That's my prayer for myself. Man, does it get hard quick. I'll give you a quick couple moments before Chad starts this song to wrestle through that on your own. Quite an invitation there, a washing anew. I like that picture of really that's a daily invite. That's like, God, I, I want to come back. I want to soften my heart. I, I need you to do that. That's my prayer for us this week, an ongoing prayer for us throughout the week. Thank you so much for coming this morning. I pray you have a wonderful week in the Lord. God bless you.